Good morning. All you saints of God. Bet no one's called you that for a while. So um, ooh, this morning we are uh, just continuing in the um, series that Caleb began uh, last week. We're looking at Paul's letters to the church in, is it Thessalonica or Thessalonica? Um, you can choose. Thessalonica, I think I'll call it. And um, <clears throat> we're calling this series Hope and Holiness. I think we've got a, a title. Just while we're doing this, I just want to give a shout out for, um, turn around everyone and look at, you might just see Tinica's head over the top of that computer there. <clears throat> I think, honestly, I think that doing these words is the most challenging ministry that happens here on a Sunday morning. The stress that these guys are under is amazing. So well done. We are really grateful for all you do here. So, so last week, um, last week Caleb explained how this church in Thessalonica was was planted by Paul and his companions during their uh, second missionary journey across what we know today. Next slide, please, Tinica. Uh, Paul's secondary uh, second mission trip across. This is the area we would now know today as Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, uh, whatever. At uh, at the time, this was the the front line. Of the, uh, for the expansion of the gospel, of the good news about Jesus. Uh, and you can read about it and what happened there in Acts 16 and 17. If you missed Caleb's talk last week, you'll find that on our website. Compared to the later letters of Paul, this, um, these letters to the Thessalonians aren't maybe so heavy on doctrine, but what they do is to show his pastoral heart and his concern for the churches that he has planted. So this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3, where Paul is reflecting on his visit there and what was achieved by it. And, and here's his conclusion. He says on the next slide first, uh, he says, Our visit to you was not a failure. I love that. You know, nowadays, everything's got to be super exciting, a resounding success, groundbreaking, transformational. Paul says, well, it wasn't a failure. <laughs> I'd settle for that. Honestly, I would. I think that's a great result. Notice he says, our visit. Uh, Paul didn't travel alone. He had a team of people around him, men like Silas and Timothy and Luke. And we read in Acts 17 that they're visit to Thessalonica ended in a riot, and they left there under cover of darkness. Now, if you were coming up with some key indicators of success for a ministry trip, <laughs> that probably wouldn't be on the list. So what is it, how, could, how is it that Paul could look back on this visit as a success? That's what, or at least not as a failure, but it's the same thing really, isn't it? And that's what our passage about is, is about this morning. And, I, you know, I think, as I looked at this, I thought, what a great model for ministry this passage provides us with. A model that is bang up to date and a model that doesn't just apply to apostles and church leaders, but, but actually to all of us, to all of us as individuals and perhaps more importantly to us, to Gateway Church as a, as a whole. So ministry, just to be clear, is simply the term that we sometimes use to describe serving others in Jesus' name. Our ministry 
of a, as a church would include all of the things that we do to serve and bless one another and everyone else, whether it's here in York or further afield. Uh, for example, recently we sent, I think it was £1,800 to a church in Tanzania to help them to put a roof on a building. Um, that's part of our ministry as a church. And you know, also we can see, we see our ministry extending beyond our church programs to how we serve God in our places of work, among our wider family networks, and so on and so forth. And we believe, this is key, we believe that every follower of Jesus is part of his ongoing ministry. The book of Acts may only have 29, or 28, 28 chapters, sorry, but the story of Jesus acting through his church by his spirit is still being written. And by the grace of God, we are part of that story. So just to be clear, the ministry of Gateway Church includes things like putting out the chairs, playing in the band, preaching, leading a life group, serving in kids' work, stewarding, debt advice, serving coffee, running a food bank, pastoral visiting, praying with people, counseling, acting with integrity in the workplace, sharing the good news about Jesus, all of the ways in which we seek to serve one another and the people around us. In other words, most of the ministry in this church is carried out by who? It's by us. It's by you. It's by all of us. That's, that's why we don't have a big sign outside the, the center here with the name of the minister on it. That would be a lot of names in our case. So what we're looking at this morning, I think, applies to all of us and everything we do in Jesus' name and for his glory. Everybody got that? Good. So what can we learn from Paul and from his companions about the ministry that, a kind of ministry that pleases God and gets results? That's my focus this morning. I want to highlight seven keys to effective ministry. I was going to call it Seven Keys to Ministry that's not a failure, but I thought effective ministry would fly better than that. The book will be coming out next year. So let's dive in. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, beginning at verse 1. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Keys to effective ministry, number one, is having the right mission. We've got to know what it is that we're aiming to do. And Paul was clear about it. What was his mission? His mission was to show and tell people the good news about Jesus. As it happens, that's our mission too. Uh, that's our core business. We exist as a church not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the people around us. And anything that we do that doesn't contribute in some way to our mission is, is a distraction, isn't it? However well, however brilliantly we might do it, it's a distraction. Perhaps the saddest kind of failure of all is to succeed at doing the wrong thing. So it's important that we have the right mission. Se something else that we see in these verses, the second point is carrying out our mission requires having the right mindset. It says, Paul says there that they dared 
to preach the gospel in spite of strong opposition. You know, we need at times to be willing to push through, don't we, to overcome resistance. I think most of us will face resistance, some kind of measure of resistance, in stepping into what God is calling us to do. Sometimes that resistance might come from external factors, as it did with Paul. Very often, the resistance will be within ourselves. There's something that's making us difficult just to, to give ourselves to it. When Paul says that they faced strong opposition, the Greek word here means a contest, a fight. Put your hand up if you realize we're in a battle. Yeah? Who's the enemy? Yeah, well, it's not, we're not in a battle with flesh and blood with people, but there are spiritual forces of evil that will resist the expansion of the gospel and the good news about Jesus. And yet Paul says that despite this opposition, I love this, we dared, we dared to tell you the gospel. The word he uses means to bear oneself boldly or confidently. It's, it's kind of stepping up to the plate. It's, it's raising your head above the parapet. It's been willing to, to take a risk. It's, it's saying, come on, come on, let's go. And, and we, we need that kind of mindset as a church if we're going to break forward and move forward with all the things that God is leading us into. And, you know, for Paul, this wasn't just a matter of bravado. There's no swagger about this man. He is very realistic about his own limitations, and we need to be as well. Concerning the ministry to which God had called him, he exclaims elsewhere, he says, who is equal to the task? Who can do this? And, and there's no question that Paul at times felt daunted by what God had called him to do. So his confidence isn't, isn't bravado, it's not a confidence in himself, but it's a confidence that is in God. And, and he says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, he says, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We don't get discouraged, we don't get weary. We have this treasure, he says, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. It's from God. And uh, it, it seems that just, just like us, Paul often felt vulnerable and weak and inadequate in, him, in himself. We're not the only ones that feel that way. His confidence comes from knowing that it doesn't depend on him, but on God. And, and this treasure that he is referring to is, is, is what he calls the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ shining in our hearts. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ shining in our hearts. In other words, it's the presence of God's Spirit. We carry God's presence with us and, and because of that, our weakness doesn't set the boundary on what God can do. When He calls us to, to step out in serving Him in some way, we can be confident, not in ourselves necessarily, but in Him and in His power. I, I read somewhere when, at the time that Paul was writing this, when they made a clay jar, they would, they would make it as thin as possible so that it would crack in the kiln, when it was fired in the kiln. And then when a lamp was placed inside the jar, 
the light would shine out through the cracks. It would diffuse out through the cracks. In other words, the clay jars were purposefully made to be vulnerable so that the light could shine out. And you know what? Sometimes we kind of feel like we need to have it all together before God can work through us. Not so. Absolutely not so. God can turn our brokenness and our wounds from a source of shame into a source of healing to others. Some of you might remember that great Graham Kendrick song from many years ago, Rejoice, Rejoice, Christ is in you. He goes on to say, though we are weak, His grace is everything we need. We're made of clay, but His treasure is within. He turns our weaknesses into His opportunities so that the glory goes to Him. That is the mindset that leads to ministry that pleases God and is not a failure. Thirdly, we need to have the right motive. Sometimes people can, might get involved in ministry for various motives other than serving others to the glory of God. Can anyone think what other kind of motives might be in play sometimes? Not for you, obviously, but someone that you know that might. <laughs> See, I'm just shout them out. Money. Money? Yeah. That would be, that would, chance would be a fine thing. <laughs> no, you're right. It can be that. Yep. Yeah. Ego. Power. Prestige. Sorry? Pride, yeah. Gosh. Is that it, or is there more to come? <laughs> you know, let's just get it all out on the table here. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. But what does Paul say about their motives? Verses 3 to 6. He says, For the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, that can be sometimes something that we, that we want to do. Uh, we, we're not trying to please people, but, but to please God who tests our hearts. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask. <laughs> that seems kind of um, timely, doesn't it? Nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We, are, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anybody else. Listen, that's pretty, that's pretty self-explanatory, I think. The truth is, we can all have mixed motives at times. And what I would say is, don't let the fear of that put you off serving. My experience is that God can sort that out. Uh, in fact, I would say that serving is one of the ways that God reveals our hearts to us. So we need to serve for our own sake. It's part of our sanctification. Never mind what good it does to anybody else. I remember one time, many years ago, some years ago, I was feeling a bit discouraged and, and I was kind of, I kind of, well, I was chatting to a friend about it and I, and I asked, you know, I kind of just said something like, you know, I just, I feel like I wonder, you know, all the, the work that I put in here, whether it really, whether it, you know, whether it's making any difference. And, and this friend said, well, it's made a difference to you. 
That wasn't what I wanted to hear, to be honest. <laughs> but, but that was right. That was absolutely right. It makes a difference to us when we get involved in serving. So, you know, I don't know if this is helping you this morning, me stood up here, but I tell you what, it's doing me a power of good. <laughs> <laughs> Effective ministry is ministry that draws people to Jesus and causes people to praise Him. Listen, it's important that we, we show our appreciation to, to those who serve, but, but we don't serve in order to, to be accepted or to bolster our ego or to earn brownie points with God. We, we don't need to do that. In fact, we don't, you know, nothing that we can do is going to make God love, him, love us any more than He loves us right now. We've nothing to prove. We are totally accepted in Christ. We are blameless in Him. But, but it's like because He loves us and because He has laid down our lives for us, as those who have freely received, we now want to freely give in His name. That is the motive behind ministry. Fourthly, how are we doing? Yeah. I just should say right now, yet all the points this morning begin with M. What else would you expect? So having the right manner. As apostles of Christ, Paul says, we could have made legitimate demands on you. Instead, we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. What a wonderful picture Paul paints for us here of what ministry should look like. Of course, it's modeled on Jesus himself. When necessary, Jesus is straight with people, for example, in calling out hypocrisy, yet he will never break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. Christ-like ministry is tender, truthful, gentle, compassionate, encouraging, not overbearing, not demanding. It is relational. And when Paul talks about fathers and mothers, it's not, just, it's not just people with male and female bodies. It is about the manner in which they contribute to the building up of the church and releasing people into their calling. This word encourage that he uses here, it's the same Greek word that's often used of the Holy Spirit. It means coming alongside to strengthen. It's not about telling people how to run their lives or, or trying to fix all of their problems. It's, it's coming alongside people, helping them to become who God has created them to be. Living out, their, living out our true identity as His beloved sons and daughters. 
That's what it's all about. Fifthly, we need to, we need to use or to have the right measure when we, you know, in any field of, of human endeavor, it's important to know what success looks like, yeah? So if you're an athlete, it might be winning a medal. If you're a farmer, it might be raising a harvest. How does Paul measure success? And what does success look like for us? In a word, reproduction. Verses 13 to 15, Paul says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. So the result of the believers in Thessalonica receiving God's word through Paul and his companions is that they become imitators. Now that's not the same thing as being mimics, okay? Some people have an amazing talent for mimicry, don't they? They can just get someone off to a a T. But the kind of imitation Paul has in mind is about truly becoming like someone. It's it's like getting the same DNA as them in our character and our thinking and and our behavior. And this is the second time that Paul uses this expression in the letter. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Uh, Elsewhere, he uses, in his letters, he uses the same expression. For example, 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, be imitators of me, as I imitate Christ. So the one we are ultimately imitating and becoming like is Jesus. But here's the thing, we need role models. We, we need, you know, that's true in any sphere of life, isn't it? In sport, in art, in cooking. More than we realize, we learn by watching other people. And, and here's an important reality to get hold of. You can't be it if you can't see it. You can't be it if you can't see it. And so to be released into the things of God, we need to see them fleshed out in other people. It's like, it's like when we see someone in action or, or when, we're, when we're watching someone and how they do or how they pray and how they go about ministry or whatever, it's like the spirit within us goes, all right, that's how, that's what I'm supposed to do. And it just kind of activates what God has put inside us. It's not that we become carbon copies of one another. Each of us, each person develops their own unique way of doing things according to our gifts and personality and so on. But, but we all come to bear the family likeness. And so this is, here's the key thing here, that successful ministry is ministry that reproduces itself. Prophets beget prophets. Evangelists beget evangelists. Leaders beget leaders. Ultimately, we are imitating Jesus himself, becoming like him. So the believers in Thessalonica become imitators. How does Paul know that the change isn't just skin deep? Answer, they were persecuted. Verse 14, they suffered 
you suffered from your own people, the Greeks, the same thing that the churches in Judea suffered from their own people, from the Jews. So when Paul hears that that's what's happening, he doesn't go, oh my goodness, everything's gone wrong. He says, he says, he gives thanks to God. He says, God, that's amazing. Thank you. Because he knows that his ministry hasn't failed. It tells him that their lives are changing. The gospel has had its effect. And he echoes the words of Jesus in a sense, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of of evil because of me. You know, nowadays, <laughs> you know, you can't do anything without being asked for feedback. You buy something and, and you get a text saying, can we have your feedback? Everybody wants feedback. Now, feedback can be helpful. I'm not against having feedback. But, and of course, it's always encouraging to get positive feedback when you're involved in ministry. Chance would be a fine thing. <laughs> but, but the measure of success in ministry is not getting positive feedback, however good it might be. The measure of success is lives being changed to become more like Jesus, people becoming imitators, reproduction. That is what we are aiming for. Sixthly, we're nearly there. Sixth key to effective ministry is having the right man or woman. It's probably only a matter of months since Paul was at this church with them, but he, he's missing them. He longs to see them. He's concerned about them, but he is not able to make the trip there personally. And so chapter 3, verse 1, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. That's where they are now. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Now, Timothy was a fairly recent addition to the team. You can read about that in Acts 16. Later in the New Testament, we find two letters that, that Paul writes to Timothy. And, and he tells him, for example, you know, to take a little bit of wine, not just to drink water, but take some wine for the sake of your stomach. He tells people not to let anybody look down on him because he's young and so on. So, so Timothy isn't what you might call the complete package, by any means. He's a, he was a work in progress, just like each of us. But by the grace of God, he was the right person in the right place at the right time. And, and you know what? By the grace of God, so are you. And that's what matters. The right person, the right place, the right time. Because in ministry... I really believe that, that who comes before what. If you, if you start off with a description of the perfect person for the job and then go looking for someone who ticks all the boxes, you know what? You will be looking for a long time. A better approach is to recognize God's call on people and then release them and encourage them into it. Because if, if that's what God is calling them to do, then they will quickly grow into that role. And the right person isn't necessarily the smartest or the most articulate or the most experienced. The right person is the person that God chooses. So if that's the case, you will soon see God's grace at work. I think that 
some of you here this morning might have ruled yourself out of some area of ministry because you feel that you're not qualified. Um, you know, many years ago when someone told me that they, that they thought that God was calling me to a church leader, to be a church leader, I laughed. I literally laughed. I thought to myself, if you knew me, you would not think that. You know, maybe, there, maybe I was right all along, but there you go. <laughs> now, maybe you sense God prompting you to get involved in some area of ministry. But even this has maybe been happening for a while, but you keep thinking, oh, it's probably just my imagination, or, I, I, you know, I just I don't have the experience, or, or, or the education, or I'm not good at thinking on my feet, or whatever the case may be. Here's a, here's a couple of verses for you to take to heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's not that we are qualified to do anything on our own. Isn't that great? That just takes the pressure off. Our competence comes from God. He has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The, the genius, the genius of the body of Christ is that we all have different gifts. God is shaping us to fulfill different roles within His body. And the body grows and builds itself up in love as each, each part does its work. So here we go, a quick recap. Quick recap just before we get to our final point. So far, I've given you six keys to effective ministry. Can anybody remember what they are? I don't know why I do this to myself, to be honest, but, you know. Come the right mission, the right mindset, the right motive, the right manner, the right measure, the right man or woman. Hey, oh, you have made me such a happy man this morning, honestly. So finally, number seven then. The right means. Paul says in chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in His presence because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Wow. Here's the thing. Effective ministry goes hand in hand with prayer. Hudson Taylor, uh, founder of China Inland Mission, he said, I have seen men at work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it. But I have never seen a man pray without working. Theologian Tom Wright, prayer isn't just one thing among many, it's like a secret stream flowing along unseen, refreshing everything else we do and making things happen in ways that we can't understand and often don't even expect. That's so true, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know how, I've lost count of the number of times that we have set off, convinced that God was calling us to, you know, put our efforts into, into one thing and we're praying about that and working at it and then it's suddenly, it seems like God is doing something that we hadn't expected. It's like, whoa, well, how is that happening? But that's just the way, that's the, the mystery of how God works. And I, I just, you know, as we look ahead 
I would just put it to you that as a church, however God leads us in pursuing our mission, whatever ministries that we aim to develop in the future, we need prayer to be front and center of everything that we do. Not just one thing among many, but the thing that comes before and the thing that shapes everything that we do. It's, Paul said that he prayed night and day for the churches. What is it that he asked God to do for this church in Thessalonica? Chapter 3, I'm just going to finish with this. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says this. This is his prayer. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his saints, his holy ones. So again, he's just, he's echoing here the teaching of Jesus, isn't he? This is how people will know that you're my disciples, that you're imitators of me, that you, how? How will he know, how will people know that we're his disciples? We have love for one another and that love spills over to everyone else to, to serve and blessing those around us. And you know what, as I thought about this, it seems to me, it's an easy thing to pray, isn't it? But it seems to me that the way our love increases is by knowing how deeply we ourselves are loved by God. It's by knowing how deeply we are loved by God. And if we're honest, this is something a lot of us struggle with, isn't it? We know in our heads that God loves us, but, but that kind of revelation in our hearts of just how deeply the Father loves us. So in closing, I just want to, I just want to share, I want to help you to just kind of picture something that has helped me get my head around this, and, and, and I hope it might, it might help you as well. Uh, it's about air travel now that air travel is opening up again. Um, next time you're in an airport arrivals hall, just take a look around you. Just look at the people around you. We, with, with Pam and I having a daughter living abroad, we have spent quite a bit of time in arrivals halls in Manchester or other places like that. Somewhere, I don't know where else there is like Manchester in Edinburgh, <laughs> you know. We've been to Luton, we have, we've been to Stansted, we've been in various arrivals halls around the country over this last few years. And, and I just find it fascinating watching people in arrivals halls. I've always been a bit of a people watcher, I suppose, and that's just a great place to watch people. And if at any airport arrivals hall in the world, you will see two kinds of people. So you see one group are standing holding a sign with someone's name on it. Yeah? And uh, they're trying to connect with someone that they have no relationship with and they don't really know and they're pretty disengaged. They might be looking at their phone or whatever. For them, it's just, it's just a job. And the other group of people are there to meet a loved one, a son or a daughter, a husband, a wife, a grandchild, and their attention is riveted. You know the doors, the sliding doors where people come through from the baggage? So they're watching, watching, watching. And it's like, it's like, you know, is, it, is that them? Is that her? Is this them coming now? Or whatever the case may be. It's not. And then the moment they see them, the moment that person, that loved one walks through the door, what happens? It's like their face 
lights up. And, and when that person sees them and sees their face beaming, then their face lights up. There's just that response of love that's there. It's what, it's what happens when you see someone that you love. It's not a conscious thing. It's not something you, you choose to do. It's just this big beam <laughs> comes on your face, doesn't it? And uh, now picture yourself coming through the doors of that arrival hall. And there waiting for you is your heavenly Father. And when he sees you coming towards him, his face lights up. How do you feel? Can you see that? That, that just gives you an indication of how the Father feels about you, how he delights in you, how deep his love is for you. And our love for one another and for everyone else is a response, I think, to knowing in our hearts that we are loved by God. When we know that, then whatever ministry we're involved in, you know, we're not going to go far wrong. It will not be a failure. Uh, So as we emerge, hopefully, from this pandemic and look forward to all that God has for us, all that he's leading us into in the future, I would like to make this prayer of Paul our own. So if the band would, would just like to to just come up and get ready at this point in time. I wonder if maybe you would just like to, to kind of stand with me and, and just this is an expression of our hearts towards God. Lord Jesus, we, we ask you to cause our love to increase and overflow. Our love for each other and our love for everyone else. And and Lord, we pray that you would let us know more and more just how deep, how wholehearted, how unfailing is your love for us. Would you bring, Spirit of God, would you bring that revelation afresh into our hearts? And will you strengthen our hearts so that we too are blameless and holy, in the presence of our Father, when our Lord Jesus returns. Amen. Amen. Amen.